this is really exciting. It's my first podcast. Ooh, first podcast. Yeah. So uh, this is the first in-person one I'm doing, so I hope the audio and everything turns out in good because we've been using Skype till now to do this. Um, and I had been starting it with a segment called, of course, COVID, but I've kind of eased back on that a little bit. Yeah. But I do have one interesting COVID fact before we hop in. Okay. Uh, so I, I do another podcast with a group of friends that's mm-hmm. a Star Wars based podcast. And we just talked about Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. And due to drive-in theaters being the popular way to see movies right now. Right. Yeah. And no new movies coming out. They're showing old movies. Empire Strike Back was top of the box office this week. That is crazy. Isn't it? Wow. Yeah. That movie is, what, 30, 40 years 40 old? years old this year. Top of the box office. Having a midlife crisis. Yes, it is. And making it to the top of the box office in the process. Yes. <laughs> All right. So let's hop right into, uh, what have you been doing? Well, I've been planning a cross-country move in the middle of a pandemic. Well, that's going to be fun. Yeah, it's just a little bit of work, you know, on top of all of the regular work. But it's exciting. It's going well. My husband got a new job, so we are relocating in three weeks to Minnesota, which is home uh, for me mostly in Wisconsin for him, but it's closer to home. It'll be great. Yeah. Leaving Rochester, New York. I have spent 10 years in Rochester. But not moving to Rochester, Minnesota. Yes. <laughs> not. Finally, yes. There's There's been a lot of moments of buying plane tickets over the phone back in the day and having to be very clear about where I was going. <laughs> <laughs> the gate agent, so. Yes. Well, that sounds like a lot of work. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be fun, right, to be back home how close are you actually going to be to home home um i guess well so my parents live in mankato which is an hour and a half south of minneapolis okay we are going to be moving to the greater minneapolis area my husband's working in bloomington so just south of the mall of america and the airport and we're going to rent an apartment kind of south of the river so he'll be pretty close there and then we are going to spend some time looking around for house also in that general area. So about an hour and a half from my parents where they live, which is as close as I would ever get to a childhood home. So the house that I lived in from seventh grade to the end of high school, they no longer live in. But we were in Mankato at that time. Gotcha. So. Um, yeah, so my... I've been to Minnesota once. We mm-hmm. stayed in minneapolis area Mm -hmm. near the mall of america and then drove around um but when we were there we went into downtown minneapolis and we walked around and did all the tunnels that connect the buildings and skyways 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 that connect the buildings and along with that um we found this restaurant to eat at it was a sports bar and they had a hamburger there that i've never seen before I know what you're going to say. The Godfather? Oh. No, I don't know I don't know that one. It's a chicken parm sandwich with okay. the meat of chicken replaced with a hamburger. So wow. hamburger, marinara sauce, basil, mozzarella cheese on a bun. 
That sounds very New York. I'm very surprised they don't have that out here. I thought you were going to say Juicy Lucy. No. Which is the cheese on the inside. Nope. Which was invented somewhere in Minneapolis. Nope. It the was. Godfather. Wow. The Godfather. That's clever. Yeah. It was a very good burger. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I will have to look out for it. If you happen to remember the name of the sports bar, just let me know. I know there's been. It was six years ago now. I think it was close to the Barnes and Nobles. Oh, yeah. Actually, I would. Yeah. There's in Nicollet Mall. There's yeah a pretty prominent Barnes and Noble on the corner. So, yeah. I think it was close to that. Sure. Yeah. Big, um, was there a big target around too? Like two story target? Maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. At that point, we had kind of gotten lost between the buildings because we didn't go outside. It happened. So. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. But I'd love to go to Minnesota again, too. Yeah. So. Yes. We will have people as often as they want to come visit. So. Well, we need to have this amazing pandemic calm down a little bit, too. Yeah. It's not so been it's, fun. It's a bit of a problem. Yeah. Yeah, yes. it is. So what have you been doing? Uh, So, well, we've been in book club together, but I'm not doing book club right now because I'm actively reading American Nations by Colin Woodward, mm-hmm. which is about the 11 nations of North America and why mm. the U.S. isn't actually one culture mm-hmm. and could separate. And then I downloaded today the Daily Stoic, which is going to have... It's 365 days of, like, two pages to read with, like, a thought to think over. And then I had started trying to play God of War, and it's just not interesting me right now. So, mm-hmm. did not start God of War. Yeah. Um, is this, the Daily Stoic, is that, like, the, some of the classic philosophers? Like, yeah, the Greek yeah. philosophers? Yeah, so it's, like, a quote from Epicurus or one of them, and then it's someone kind of expanding on what the quote might be saying uh-huh. with like a, a thought for the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so today's was something along the lines of like, uh, we, we've been told that like the top thing to do is be an entrepreneur and start your own business. Mm-hmm. But aren't you yourself your own business and shouldn't you take care of yourself exactly like you would take care of starting a business? Uh, that. It makes total sense. Yeah. And so the book is organized in 365 days. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I started on the July 11th okay. thought. Sure. And sure. it said, I read the introduction. It's like some people just read the book all the way through the first time mm-hmm. and then um, start reading by the day or you can just start reading by the day. So I got it digitally and it made it really easy to just hop to the chapter for July and then find July 11th. Awesome. And I like that each thing's like one or two pages. Yeah. It's just a quick thought to think over. Mm-hmm. That sounds really awesome. And the first book you mentioned too, the 11 Nation? Uh, so it's it's called American Nation. American Nations. And I think the subtitle of it is the 11 Nations of North America. Mm-hmm. So. Does it include Canada and Mexico? So he is focused mainly on the United States, but... His arguments are that the cultures do kind of cross over. So it does have Canada and um, Mexico involved in it. But most of his research and study mm-hmm. is focused on North America. Yeah. So yeah, interesting. actually, Rochester, New York 
and Minnesota fall into the same nation of Yankeedom. And it is the nation that started in Boston and that area and worked its way across. Sure. Um, But part of New York, New York City, Mm -hmm. is actually a completely different nation. It's Mm -hmm. the smallest of the 11 nations, and Mm -hmm. that's New Netherlands. Yeah. Yeah. That makes... Yeah, this is really interesting. I'll have to pick that one up as well. I definitely felt... um, So when I moved to Rochester in 2011, so like nine, ten years ago, um, definitely felt very similar, that Midwest feeling... Um, but you know, there's noticeable differences. So I think, you know, there's a little bit of an East coast vibe to Rochester. Yeah. So. I gotta say, I loved central time. It was the weirdest (laughs) thing about being in Minnesota. I was like, this is the perfect time zone. Yeah. Everything should be in central time. It's interesting. I also like tend to wake up later and stay up later in Eastern time. And I've wondered, is my body clock on an absolute time scale and it just happens to fit into central time zone better but there's also this phenomena and i I haven't looked this up of like within a time zone where you are on the borders right because if you're really far east then you get the sun earlier and in the west you get the sun a little bit later and so it's kind of it's more subtle because you're still within the time zone but for really big swaths of land it can be kind of noticeable so I I wonder if that might be part of it too is just Minneapolis relative to the start of the time zone border. Might be. I don't know. You yeah. could really split the time zone down to 15 minute segments really. I remember being in like 5th grade and there was like a quiz, you know, knowledge bowl thing happening happened once a year, once a semester and we were preparing for it and our coach who was preparing us said, "How many time zones are there?" And the answer was 24, because there's 24 hours in a day. I was like, that's not, like, how, but you could have 15-minute time zones. And then I got older, and I realized that Asia does have, like, lots of smaller chunks of time zones. That still annoys me to this day, obviously. But I think I, I don't know if this is true, um, but I read somewhere that China has a single time zone for the entire country. Yes. And I've, it's universal time across the entire country. I've heard the same thing, yes. And, you know, being a communist country, I I think that would be in their self-interest, so I, I buy it. So, it would just be weird because I think it would probably be based on, like, Beijing or something. So if you're farther east... You know, like you could be waking up to go to work at two o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. The sun's out at two o'clock in the morning Mm because it's actually like, well, time's a construct. Uh, So. Yeah. But biology. (laughs) True. But the hours are a construct in a way. Yes. That aren't fully real. Sure. So. I think we just found a really interesting argument analogy to some very contentious debates that are in the public sphere. I will have to think about this and flesh this out more. Well, with that, let's hop into our main topic. So you've brought to me how we use the internet and what the internet's done to us. So I think this is a good follow-up to uh, the last episode I did was about groupthink, and we talked a lot about uh-huh. the internet with groupthink. Sure. So let's talk about this. Yeah. So I was really thinking about the internet from a self-reflective kind of 
position. Um, I My internet habits include I have Twitter on my phone. I have Instagram on my phone. I used to have Reddit, but I deleted it off my phone. I still have an account. I try not to stay signed in just so it doesn't suck me in as much. Um, so those are, and YouTube, I think, is probably the biggest con- contributor for like social media and, and content, consuming content. Um, obviously, there's kind of like finding articles sort of randomly in like the Google News like homepage, right? And you click and you read for five minutes on your coffee break. There's a lot of that as well. So that would be kind of form the core part. But I've really like kind of slowly over the last several years realized like, how did I get these habits? Are these conscious habits? Do I enjoy this or did I just kind of fall into it? And it's kind of, you know, been nudged through this idea has also been nudged through some of the YouTube creators I follow. (laughs) So this is very, um, it's very meta, but yeah, that's, that's kind of where I was coming from. Yeah. So, um, I definitely know I've changed based on the internet. Uh, you know, I was thinking about it the other day that I haven't sat in true silence in the longest time because with the internet, there's always something now available on my phone. I am in deep with podcasts and music and Spotify, so I don't really sit in silence anymore. Um, mm-hmm. I had deleted Twitter and Reddit from my phone after listening to a speech from near Atal, Atal, I think is his last name, mm-hmm. uh, who wrote Indistractable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I made it one week without Twitter. <laughs> and I've officially made it three weeks without Reddit. Nice. I reinstalled Reddit today. Okay. Um, for a purpose, though, um, oh, I was trying to search the coffee subreddit from my phone. And Reddit has made it extremely difficult to use Reddit mm-hmm. on mobile mm-hmm internet yes so reddit will probably get uninstalled again Mm -hmm. twitter probably not but i've set up timers Mm -hmm. um and i do use youtube a lot uh there's a bunch of creators that i follow on youtube though i have started to get some really weird recommendations from youtube's algorithm Mm. lately that's interesting i you know i had i think i'm I'm starting to feel motivated to actually pay attention to kind of how the companies release new information or when there's changes. Cause I've, I've noticed some new creators that I'm interested in. I'm not really sure where they came from cause they're not really linked to anything else, but it sounds like there was maybe a change in the algorithm recently. Um, so that kind of started promoting or shifting the content a little bit. Yeah. Um, I will say I get some very interesting targeted ads on YouTube, and there are certain um, sets of videos that I do enjoy watching around conspiracy theories ah, that okay. I okay. will not watch with my history turned on mm. so that it does not calculate those videos into my algorithm. This feels very 1984, Jake. It is. Um <laughs> I mean, there's only certain things I want calculated into my algorithm, and it's a lot of comedy, Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I have one news podcast or news YouTube show I consistently watch Mm -hmm. on there, Um, some more news. But outside of that, but because I watch some more news and it is a left-leaning 
uh, news show, mm-hmm. the ads I get are from very conservative uh, news shows. Oh my gosh. The, the ads are just ridiculous this election cycle. Um, there, I, I, I will say, it seems like the campaigns are very quick to create content and monetize anything the other person says that they could see as an advantage. There was one I saw tonight of a 911 call that went to voicemail because Ooh. certain people want to defund the police. Fun. Yeah. Um, I think some of the best ads I've seen have been on Twitter mm. from the Lincoln Project. Oh my gosh. Their ad. I love the Lincoln Project. Their ad department is amazing. Yes. They spin out ads so fast and they're all so catchy. Yes. That that is the type of like seemingly grassroots responsive organization that I'm sure in like two or three years all of us are gonna be like, wait, actually the origins might be a little sketchier, but like for now, I'm into oh, it. You mean George Conway, the husband of uh <laughs> Kellyanne, Kellyanne yeah. and a bunch of conservatives started a group called the Lincoln Project to not get Trump elected again. Yeah, their means are very sketchy, but they are <laughs> very good at what they do. Yes. So. Yeah, it's just, yeah, I don't know. I guess when, what, you know, it, it feels good right now. I think they're doing good. I think they're doing things that are necessary sort of reminds me in the counterculture aspect right they're they're essentially a counterculture within the republican party yes and the last time we saw that we got sarah palin yes it seems but it seems the reverse now so we got sure. the tea party yep and now it seems to be trying to return to the non-tea party norms i mean you could probably make an argument that trump is a direct descendant of that tea party politics now you've got sure. the more traditional um, Bush-style mm-hmm. Republicans right. that are trying to return the party to those roots. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mitt Romney is probably the only senator in the GOP that is yeah. following that same kind of logic. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, we're definitely, you know, with talking about Twitter and YouTube and the Internet, it's definitely... Um, unavoidable it feels like to talk about the the political landscape so it's really i you know i think that's also been motivating to me where i'm like do i need this in my life i have a choice here i don't have to read twitter i don't have to watch youtube i can choose to do other things with my time right and so i think it's really that level of inflammatory content that is and the pandemic right like one of the biggest pieces of advice that i took early on was don't oversaturate yourself with information and news there's a there's a required be informed what are the case numbers what should you do to stay healthy anything beyond that is optional right so reading about how an entire family got an outbreak after attending a birthday party right that's optional to read about that level of detail that's another point where I was like, I have a choice here. Do I want to consume this? What am I putting into my brain? Am I putting useful things in there? 
Yeah, uh, man, it's 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 difficult. I've tried to start absorbing better content from the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, we've mm-hmm. signed up for the New York Times. Mm-hmm. I tried to replace Reddit with Google News. Mm. Um, I've got Pocket installed to save articles. Yep. I've read some very interesting articles through Pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I've really started to try to go back to books. Mm-hmm. Um, but yep. the problem with that is I found, and I've, I've stressed this a lot throughout my podcast, nonfiction is extremely difficult to read on a cell phone. I have a 10-inch tablet. I yep. can read my nonfiction book on my tablet. Mm-hmm. No issue. Mm-hmm. But I pick up American Nations and try to read it on my cell phone. And it is, for some reason, just ridiculously difficult mm-hmm. to read it on that small screen where it feels like the internet now has been catered towards the mobile scrolling experience. Mm-hmm. But Books haven't quite reached there, at least for nonfiction. I can read fiction on my phone. Sure. No issue. Sure. But the minute I'm trying to learn something, I'm like, I I don't know if it's because on my tablet, I really just have some TV apps and reading apps and a couple games on it. Mm -hmm. But on my phone, I'm like, I have work email. I have Reddit. I have Twitter. I have, I I could be doing something better right now. I could be listening to something on Spotify. Do I really want to listen to something on Spotify? So that reminds me of a video, one of my favorite I have a, I have a whole list of like YouTube creators that like I definitely put this in the show notes. It was surprising when I was writing out what I was like what was kind of behind this idea. One of the things I realized and was able to like really put into words the the list of creators that I follow and like and would recommend to people are such a reflection of my personality. And if you were to look at and like so when I share one, I'm like here's a piece of me coming to you like it's really bizarre but i'm like there are some creators out there that are just so spot on with like you know i enjoy learning from them i sort of engage with them at a level and i like absorb their ideas that telling other people about them is like you know it's it's like a really personal act almost which is really betrayed by like i'm gonna copy and paste this link (laughs) you know yeah um for me you know so podcast is how i get most of my ideas sure um so I, let, let's return to the idea yeah well, but yes there was an idea i had based off of the phone scrolling but yes. oh, okay yeah uh so the main difference between youtube and podcast for me is i can turn off my screen mm-hmm. and that yes. makes a difference for me yes so yeah going back to the phone like screen time is very like eye hygiene being able to sleep like all of these things and for me, like, it totally makes sense that you're you're having trouble digesting certain information on a certain size screen. So part of that, like, the, the one thing I sort of wanted to give, like, there's this, this little nugget is sort of coming over as a piece of advice. But the CPG Gray channel um, is, uh, he does, like history videos he does little fyi thinky videos he does like some self-improvement videos um like he had this yearly themes video that was great i hate goal setting he hates goal setting he gave me a new way to like work towards an aspect of self-improvement that did not rely on like your traditional goal setting right so that's where it's like gets really personal so he when quarantine started he had released this video that he had already had the concept in his mind, wasn't sure the right vehicle 
to display it but like everybody gets so so quarantine happens right so he built this he built out this metaphor that you are put on a spaceship and rocketed into orbit you have to the goal very simple goal come back better than you left personally so how do you maintain your mental health your physical health feed yourself work while in this bubble literally and his recommendation or his solution to that problem was to create zones you work at this desk you read at in this chair you only do if you're like so you you do very specific things in very specific places and that helps your mind and your body feel separation if you don't have the space for separation like different rooms or different um, things so for me hearing that like you're doing everything on the phone right you could be sort of generating lots of other work ideas and thoughts and you can't shut that off when you're trying to digest the nonfiction, right so create zones of don't even bother trying to read the nonfiction <laughs> on your phone right nonfiction is for your tablet when you have your tablet in hand you are reading nonfiction. Yeah, and I, I think that plays into um, we're trying to create zones right now during quarantine because we're all in our house. Yep. Uh, so we have our home office zone. Mm-hmm. And I personally try not to bring work out of there. Mm-hmm. My work laptop stays in there. Yep. This computer monitor was actually a third monitor that I was using, mm-hmm. but I found it a distraction at work, so mm-hmm. I've removed it. Um, and then... At the end of the day, close the door. Yep. Uh, but also along with that, I now have all my work apps on my phone. Mm-hmm. I have my teamwork. I have my cell phone app. I have Outlook. Um, I've turned off notifications on yep. those, but it is a work device in its way yep. now. Um, so so I've, I have... A collection of work apps i resisted wholeheartedly treating my personal device as a work device until i started getting reimbursement i get that which was also sort of a bid that was possible for me because i do a lot of customer facing work and so you can make the argument that that was necessary for me to do my job function is to use my personal device so but i put the i so i take all my work apps and I put them into a folder, right? So they're all sort of clumped together and hidden on the second page. And, you know, I can not think about them. But I do like, yeah, I think Asana, I haven't fully turned off notifications. I can check my, the weirdest thing for me, I feel really crappy, but I still do it sometimes. Waking up on the way down to get coffee, open the work email. It's the worst feeling in the world being like, I just have to check it because there was some drama happening yesterday and da da da, right? Like, but it is the worst feeling to Even check worst work email before you've had a cup of coffee. On the weekend because it's right there on your phone. Yep. Um, yeah, so I know that phones are trying to do a lot to help with that. Mm-hmm. Um, like, so one thing uh, Android has done is focus mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you can like actually set it to a specific mode that disables specific apps during the time that mode is enabled. Um, but yeah, I think the internet has integrated us into this world of clickbait, instant gratification, mm-hmm. and 
unlimited choice to the point that you're like, there's always something better. Uh, so you have to manually limit your choice on the internet. And mm-hmm. I think that's part of the reason like I don't like the YouTube algorithm i mm-hmm. understand youtube's trying to get you to stay on there longer sure but i'm on there to watch certain things i yep. want to watch some more news yep uh catch up on stephen colbert sure and i'm subscribed to a site called man shorts which does these really funny um D playthroughs oh and they make up something like customer service edition i've seen those they yeah are very funny they're very good so yeah um and they actually did a series called conspiracy edition (gasps) which is just amazing wow it involves lizard people and alex jones and alternate dimensions wow and it is hysterical that sounds intense i've actually never played D, so those like i I watched a few of them it's like the idea is clever but like a I haven't sort of gotten fully hooked into watching all of the, the different modes. But, yeah, it's interesting because YouTube has, like, right on in the interface, you can click a button that takes you to videos from channels you've subscribed, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not the home page. No. So they're sort of like, we recognize that people want to use our service in this way, but we're going to make it hard for you to do that. But I find... Facebook is a much worse offender for me personally in terms of the, like you said, if I need to go like just I for whatever reason, like want to see like, oh, my cousin is on a trip and I want to check some photos or something, right? Like I have a specific thing in mind that I want to do before I open Facebook 30 minutes later and I'm like, what was I going to do again? <laughs> it's just a black hole for me. Like Facebook is the worst I cannot, like, it's it's really, it's just, it's bad. So Facebook is the one app I've been able to actually walk away from. Um, I have a Facebook profile. Mm-hmm. I don't have the app installed. I will never install Facebook Messenger, no matter how hard they make it to now, use Facebook on my, in, in Chrome or in Firefox. On now Chrome. I have Messenger installed. I don't have Facebook installed. Will never install any product from Facebook on my phone. Um, I installed Facebook briefly uh, a few months ago because I was playing a D&D group campaign and we started it through a Facebook group. We're now on Discord. So I'm back off Facebook again. Um, I hate Facebook. I hate what it's done to us. Mm-hmm. Um I hate that they've integrated themselves so well into everyday life that it's almost become a necessity to have a Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, like I was trying to sublease an apartment and the number one recommendation was, well, put it on Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace. Like it's, yes, it, it yeah. Facebook needs to be split up. <sighs> it is interesting that Facebook owns whatsapp and instagram and mm-hmm. those are two apps that i have on my phone and part of I'm, I'm this week was a sad week for me one of my favorite podcasts of all time kara swisher's recode decode aired its last episode so she is no longer going to be hosting it but she's a technology journalist talks extensively about 
problems with Facebook, interviewed Mark Zuckerberg at various different times, covers like when there's lawsuits and there have been lawsuits and everything. And I just feel so informed listening to her about why Facebook needs to be broken up, about why it's heading towards monopoly, about the fact that, you know, there's been no new social media companies since 2011, and that's like eons in internet time, right? And I, yes, it is, it is, needs to be broken up. They tried to create their own currency. Uh, the journal episode on Libra was absolutely just, amazing. Okay. I, not we don't need to go there. It needs to be broken up. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, so the internet did not become the revolution that people uh, thought it would be. Yes. Uh, in times, I find it to be very 1984, Brave New World. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I know it's monitoring me. I, I know based on the ads that mm-hmm. I get that my phone's listening to me, mm-hmm. that it's looking at what I'm searching, um, mm-hmm. that it's trying to cater tech content to me to keep me on it. And in doing so, this is actually something we discussed in the um, last episode. It tries to push you further and further and further towards, well, it, it presents stuff that's to your beliefs, but in doing that, it it gives you something a little bit more extreme and yeah. a little bit more extreme yeah. until you're pushed so far to the extreme, you believe the world's flat because you've fallen down that rabbit hole or something. Um, it is it is dangerous the way it presents content to us, especially with our subpar education. Yes, it is. It is dangerous to. I think, you know, I can only control myself and my behaviors. There's definitely a lot of, I think, ways the that people are more addicted to the Internet than I, I personally am. But, you know, I just like you were saying, you know, realizing that, like, when is the last time I didn't watch YouTube for an entire 24 hours? Maybe when I was like traveling or for Christmas or something, but there you kind of just like have the whole like four or five days planned out, right? And and you you do you start to crave it, and because it's kind of a combination of routine and habit and just like feeling, I think that's the biggest thing that that throws me is the parasympathetic relationship that you have with like the creator, because you're like, oh, I wonder what so and so posted in the last few days. It feels like you're keeping up with somebody. They have no idea you exist. No, you don't. That, uh, to me, is just bizarre. Yeah, uh, the internet is a bizarre change to our world that uh, our minds haven't evolved to yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, in its own way, a danger to humanity. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean... The human mind is resilient. I'm not sure that we should evolve towards the internet. I think there was a technology concept I saw several years ago that was like kind of like a projector on a lanyard that you could like project a piece of paper on your hand and write and whatever. And the philosophy behind this product was 
we should shape technology to our needs. We shouldn't shape ourselves to technology. Which is really interesting because it just speaks to the diversity of product design that could be happening that's not happening. I don't know why. I also think, going back to what you said, the internet, you know, the internet is old. Um, the queen's the queen sent her first email in the 1970s. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I see the dangers of the internet. Right. I, I look and I see, as much as I enjoy a good conspiracy theory, yeah. I've seen what can happen, the radicalization and the fact that it is in ways a regulated and unregulated mm -hmm. marketplace of ideas that also is set up in a way to keep you so attached mm -hmm. it it radicalizes people right and i that's where i think i think what i'm trying to do is make a distinction between like you were saying there was the promise of the internet and that was like the 1990s there were browser wars like everything was on the computer you had dial up things were slow right but I think it was like starting when, you know, people, as more people were coming online to the basic internet, you had things like MSN Messenger, AOL, like chat, right? So people could be doing more things than just reading a static web page. And to me, the problems really started with mo like smartphones, right? With the iPhone, because now you have a whole different concept of the internet, which is the app. I remember I, I hated the concept of an app because I'm like, it's just a program, right? Remember back in the day when apps were called programs? Now everything is an app. Even on your computer. It's Even an app Even on your now. computer. You have to... I, I got a new computer. <laughs> to buy Windows 7, I had to log in with a Microsoft email address. <laughs> Granted, I could have ordered the physical disk and waited 10 days but i didn't want to even to install windows regardless of that fact every i i bought the thing downloaded it installed it and immediately signed out of all of the apps right the the microsoft office that that's office. what it was yeah it wasn't the os it was microsoft office yep. products so install them immediately uninstalled every time my computer restarts right i get a little notification Oh, there's a problem with Windows. I think your sign-in is broken. I'm like, yeah, because I uh, signed out. I don't want to be signed in doing everyday tasks while I'm doing my finances in Microsoft Excel. Why do I need, like, so mobile computing and cloud computing. I'm very distrustful of cloud computing for personal use. Definitely see a benefit for work, for corporate use especially with remote work. So I think what my point of the dangers are the way it's expanding. And I would agree with you about the smartphone. Um, I always like to quote this fun little fact I've heard that Cleopatra um, was closer to the release of the iPhone than the point the Great Pyramids were made. Um, that's insane to me. Sure. And also just to think about uh, what we got uh, most... Americans got dial-up in the 90s. Uh, we're using home computers that could run a couple programs at the same time. Mm -hmm. Nothing big. Um, you know, RAM was 256 
megabytes. Uh, now RAM goes up to like 32 gigabytes. We have terabyte hard drives. The mm-hmm. smartphone got released in 2007. Mm-hmm. Everyone has smartphones now. Before that, phones could text and make phone calls. Yep. Um, it's that exponential growth of technology versus our time to adapt to what we have. Sure. And I, I've seen some interesting ideas around, like, with the Cambridge Analytica scandal, I think that really injected, did a lot to inject the concept of your attention is a resource, and that resource is getting exploited. And so what would happen if Twitter was a subscription? A lot of these problems might go away because now you're acknowledging your value to them, right? You're acknowledging its value in your life by paying for it, and it it sort of is a... I think it. I think that would go a long way to just kind of make people more choiceful about what they install and what they use, and that's personally what I'm trying to do. Yeah, and with any of those free apps, um, Reddit, uh, Twitter, Facebook, um, those companies are for-profit companies, mm-hmm. and you are using it for free, mm-hmm. which means you are not their consumer. Yes. You are their product. Yes. Their consumers are the advertisers that are paying those companies. Yes. To have your 100%. views. Yeah. Um, so I think if we ever got a subscription-based social media site, it would be difficult to take off the ground. But if it was not ad-free, it would be absolutely insane. Because at that point, you yeah. are their consumer right you are no longer their product and that's why i remember i remember back in the day when like abc i remember when hulu was free and now it went to subscription and it still had advertisements and i said if there's ever a subscription level where i cannot have ads for video streaming i will pay for that hulu you should do that and it took it still took them like five years to do that and to be fair i don't have hulu right now because i have Amazon Prime Video and Netflix. So I have an abundance of choice in my life already. I don't need more. And yeah, I think that's it. It's it's being intentional about recognizing the wealth of choice you already have. You don't need more. How are you spending your time? Are you always spending your time on a default mode of I'll just go watch Netflix? Because it interferes. Like I've been noticing how I want to start creative endeavors and I there's there's this huge barrier to entry that's internal and I don't understand that but I'm starting to and I think some of what it comes down to is a perfectionism and a well somebody else has already done that so I don't need to I would recommend that you check out near Atel um, we just got on Distractable, so I haven't started reading it, but uh, yeah. he talks a lot about this. So he actually got famous by writing a book called Hooked that was about building apps that hook people into yeah. staying on their phone. Yeah. And then he wrote Indistractable, which was about mm-hmm. how to not fall into the distraction pits of the apps that hook you. Um, so... That's really, I, I think I would really 
find a lot of value in that type of uh, writing. It's also funny, it just kind of stood out to me as like, today's modern self-help is to how to not use the internet. Whereas like, you know, self-help from books from, I don't know. It's just an interesting sign of change. Yeah, and I mean, I've always wanted to try one of those um, internet-free retreats. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would be really fun to like, you know, you go in, you have to hand over your cell phone. Yep. They put it in a cubby, yep. lock it up, and then you have two days internet-free. Did you see the Simpsons episode on that? No, I did not. Oh, the punchline, if you don't mind me spoiling it, not is the facility would use your phone while you were there and use it to answer spam emails or like use it to push out spam i think i don't I don't remember but it's some sort of like twisted like actually you know we're trying to help you revert to a more natural state of being where you're not being a product but actually secretly you are the product because we're using your phones for our own purposes yeah uh that that's some black mirror stuff yeah um but it's the simpsons so it's yeah funny uh, so, yeah my my thought is i was like always like I, I should start one of these retreats like there's a bunch of land in rochester that mm-hmm. isn't in use that mm-hmm. if i could somehow find the money to yep. buy a plot of land you know you plant a row of trees like five layers deep make a fake fence of trees so that when you're there <laughs> it seems like you're walled off sure. from the world but you're not and then uh, I've, I've always liked vikings so one mm, of my things yep. was one of the buildings would be a, a log house a log house yeah but it would be like a place where you go eat together and have the yep. fire pits and yep. all that and it would be a nice viking log house for dinner you need to come to minnesota we have those oh yeah well thank I do need to come to Minnesota. Boundary again. waters? Oh my gosh. Everything. Okay, we should, t- next summer, summer 2021, you're going to take a family family vacation to Duluth. Duluth is amazing. Northern Minnesota is amazing. Summer is the best time to go to Duluth. Every other point in the year, it's cold. And, you know, anyway, slightly, slight distraction. I think the idea of internet retreat is, is awesome. I think, I'm trying to do that in my... It's hard because I need my phone for like checking emails while we're moving. Like there's so much like logistical and managerial work that I do now that like we're moving. So even when I'm not working, I have to have my phone near me to just do general life stuff. And I'm trying to notice that and just say like, do I need to be doing this right now or like schedule it? Like that was something that I sort of like, I could really challenge myself to schedule my internet time, right? Like I should, I only check Instagram between 9 and 10 a.m. or on my coffee break between 9 and 10 a.m., right? And I, like, I think you mentioned this before, but um, I have a Google Pixel for my phone and it has digital well-being. Yep. So I have set Instagram and Twitter both to be 30 minutes, three zero. Yep. It's so hard. And sometimes, especially Twitter, I go and I just, know five minutes left okay i'll go increase it by an hour because something's really important is happening on twitter today because our world is falling apart the most important thing happened on twitter earlier this week there was a author from brussels who did a whole comedy but inspired by real event twitter feed 
of their neighbors who were from Britain and <gasps> just found out that they are I not going to be able to keep that. their house because of Brexit. I, I saw that and I was suckered into thinking it was real, which reminds, and then like I sort of by the end of, okay. It is real. It's just satirized. Right. Okay. So it's okay. based sure. purely on real things, but he exaggerated right. significantly. Yes. Like going to the mayor's office for bribery, that was, that was kind of where I was like, mm, I'm not sure this happened exactly as he, it reminded me of, twi- of, of Reddit. I think this is like 2013. This was like ancient. This is like a Friday night. Somebody posts. I don't know, r slash relationships. I don't even remember the subreddit, but it was Jenny. He was following his girlfriend for some reason and realized she was kissing another man. And throughout the whole weekend, he was posting updates. Oh my God. Linking back to the previous ones, what he did, how he followed her, Jenny, Jenny, Jenny. And it was thrilling just to be in the know, even if it wasn't real, just to be participating and real time consuming this story almost like you know like a radio like serial serially produced back in the day um you know radio programs and stuff so i don't know i think that one was fake but it's it is you know twitter is like for the most part i think it's negative there are some shining moments and there are some really brilliant ways people use it for kind of meta purposes of parody accounts oh my gosh i just discovered parody accounts they're pretty good oh my gosh gold duke i don't know if you're a star trek person so from star trek deep space nine gold ducat parody account is amazing because he basically takes trump tweets and puts them in the star wars star trek universe so I have a couple of Trump ones. Mine is a Trump Dungeon Master or something. So he takes it and puts it into the Dungeons and Dragons universe. Like, the rule book has never been better than when I came in. I came in and brought law and order back to the rule of Dungeons. And they're hysterical. Um, There's another one. It's actually a bot, not a parody Mm. account. Mm -hmm. Uh, Joel Dongstein. He take you know the mega church pastor Joel Olstein. Yes. Yeah. Yes, he yes, takes yes. all of his tweets and replaces anywhere it says God or my Lord with the word Dick. Oh no. And they are hysterical. Oh, oh. I. <sighs> That's. I'll have to check it out. I mean, part of me is like, oh, cringe. Like maybe that's a little too much. But you never, you know. Anyway. Um, I was like, oh, the other thing I've recently found on Twitter that you can play games. There's an account that is Tetris emoji Tetris. Every 10 minutes, it releases a new four options for where to move the block. And the polls close after 10 minutes and the, the picture like shifts down and he creates the pictures with emojis and it is brilliant and it is fun and it is definitely a way to waste time on twitter but because you're, you're like oh i'm gonna vote here and then i'm gonna stay on for the next 10 minutes and do the next one and you're like oh this is like a crowdfunded thing right or like a crowdsourced like game so i have to stay engaged because you don't want but there's also no gravity so the pieces don't just like randomly drop like you actually have to do something to make them move down 
um, in, in this Twitter game. So I don't know. That concept, though, is just amazing. That is just fantastic use of Twitter. So it's a democratized version of Twitch Plays Pokemon. Yes. Which was absolute chaos and fun for a weekend. <laughs> yes. So. And actually, Reddit had that too. One time, there was a there was a flag. There was a big oh, yes. the big art D- project. Press, uh, uh, there was the flag. Um, then there was the button. Don't press the button. Oh my god! I it was like ten seconds. I, I like I didn't I know what was I, happening. I made so it I just to press the button. Thirty, and I was still not very far into, but. It, Anytime someone pressed the button, it would reset. So you you didn't yeah. know when not to press the button. Yes, I m- might be remembering the button slightly wrong. Um, I remember it was like something where you're like, yeah, I I don't know. We can go look up in internet history. And archives. then there was the snap too. Did you participate in the snap? That does not sound familiar. Oh, so it was when um, I think it was the Avengers subreddit had the Thanos snap and 50% of the subreddit was banned from the subreddit because they they died. Yes, okay. I think I remember stumbling onto that. I remember hearing about it elsewhere on Reddit after it happened, but also somehow it didn't spoil the movie for me because I definitely didn't see the movie until like three or four weeks after it came out. So anyway, there was a few more things that I came up with. Um for how I use the internet, how it's affected my behavior. Um, one, since we're on entertainment, kind of reminded me of this one, um, also because a certain British author has been getting herself in trouble on Twitter. Ooh, yeah. The George, I, I will call it the George Lucas effect of I'm going to keep twiddling with my creation is magnified because of the internet. Because franchises have so many channels to continuously expand and push out content for their fans. So on the one hand, that's cool because you get to grow and and keep getting fed content from Marvel's Avengers. On the other hand, kind of ruins the magic. Because especially for the case of J.K. Rowling, she can't let it go. She just keeps inserting details. She just keeps inserting details. And it's really like... Do we need to know if Dumbledore was gay or not? I mean, it would be nice if she wrote about it in the books, but why can't the books just stand on their own? There's so much extra. Um, because she's not a great author. Um, yes. Anyway, don't see that happening. I feel like with the better develop series and when you do see it happening for example the avengers they've expanded through other content that seems all well planned where at least for a certain author she seems to be trying to stay relevant and i just learned this from a fantastic creator lindsay ellis she does she's she used to be on like a game review channel so she has a like you might incidentally know Lindsay Ellis. I know the name. Yes. She was... Oh, man. She had a particular persona. I can't remember the name of it right now, but JJ, my husband, um, it rang a bell for him. And I was like, oh, well, that's great. Like, I didn't know that she had this other life before doing her own solo YouTube stuff. Um, but she does, like, critical video essays on 
musicals and movies and lengthy like popular culture topics and so she did a hot take which is very out of character for her on jk rowling and the recent stuff and i learned from her hot take that jk rowling has retained creative control through like copyright or legal legalistically right she is god in her universe nobody else is and so when it comes to the issue of do i distance myself from the harry potter universe because of her the answer kind of has to be yes because she is so synonymous with the universe there is no other creative energy in that universe to your point which might be kind of why it feels icky to keep like so the seven books came out and then it's like cool story complete right then there was like fantastic beasts and where to find them there was this there was that there was the theme park world there was just more ways to keep experiencing the same thing right and so to me that kind of it doesn't leave it sort of leaves like like you know how like m&m quality chocolate like hershey's like leaves a residual taste in your mouth just kind of leaves you with that residual taste instead of just feeling satisfied so the thing that i would compare this to my experience of harry potter is my experience of lord of the rings i read the first four i read the hobbit and then i read the remaining three books when I was in the summer between 6th grade and 7th grade. The movies had just been announced that they would they were going to start planning the movies. So this was like very mid-2000s. It was before 9-11 actually. I think. Yes, definitely. Um, it was the summer of 2001. And so I experienced them all on my own. I found them through our family library didn't know what they were before, read the story, got to have my own unique reading experience. I was at at the very end of the very last book, the way that like there's like multiple endings, right? In the movies that was kind of like, but it was really necessary in the book because there was so much that happened. There was so much that had to be processed to be finished. And even still like, I finished the series and I was just like, yeah, wow. And it was a completion, you know? And I just, I don't, I feel like there's a loss of that type of completion with the multiple, multiplication of ways to experience the universe. I think... And this will probably be my final point within entertainment online. It also depends on entertainment and whether it's meant to be completed. Um, sure. Yeah. Lord of the Rings was meant to be completed. Mm-hmm. Game of Thrones someday will be completed. <laughs> um, and maybe HBO will decide to make season eight at some point yeah. of that show. Yeah. I, I don't know why they stopped after season seven. It was really weird that they didn't create a last season of that show. Sure. Um, if they did, no one should remember that last season of that show. <laughs> um, 
but then there's other content that isn't meant to be completed. Um, and this falls more into the comic book Marvel uh, sure. DC universe. Yeah. It is a ever-going story that a story arc may have an end point, mm-hmm. but Superman's never going to have an end point. Batman is never going to have an end point yeah. where it's done. Harry Potter was written and is meant to have an end point. Yes. Um, yes, that's... Star Wars is not meant to have an end point, but man, did Disney work <laughs> that second, that, that trilogy. Uh, um, Solo and Rogue One were definitely the better movies of yeah. the Disney stuff. So Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that's a good way to think about it. I feel like Harry Potter should be have have that satisfied completion ending and the creator is not letting go of it she's she keeps inserting herself and not letting that happen yeah agreed mm-hmm. yep so it's and and yeah maybe the george maybe it'll be the jk rowling effect in the future instead of the george lucas effect <laughs> yeah uh man lucas really just well I've heard an interesting fact about Lucas re-editing mm. his movies, mm-hmm. and I don't know how true this is, but um, his first wife was an editor on the mm. movies. Mm-hmm. Um, when he re-edited them, he, they were divorced, and by re-editing them, her edit credit got removed or something, so she... Um, lost the ability to get royalties from the movies so the edits were more of like a final f you to his ex-wife than actually necessary edits because they weren't really necessary edits and uh lucas near the end especially in the the prequel trilogy thought cgi was the shit and didn't realize how quickly CGI will age out over practical mm, effects. Sure. Yeah. So. Yeah, the the part about the um you know, the partnership and having her involved in the initial production, I I think I'd heard something similar. Um yeah. So that that feels believable, but then it's sort of like it absolves you from one negative quality, but it, re- it introduces a different like negative oh, yeah. Whole, quality. <laughs> when, so. it com- when it comes down to this, Lucas was a, a genius for creating the Star Wars universe, but he wasn't actually um, the greatest storyteller. Yes. Uh, he did not write and direct Empire. He... The, the prequel trilogies are what his dream was, which I think actually they, the CGI does not stand up, or the CG doesn't stand up, but um, um, the, the series overall stands up. But he, sure. he... Other people have done better things with Star Wars, but Star Wars would not exist without George Lucas, and that needs to be acknowledged. I think if you... If you ever invite me back for a second podcast episode, creative credit and attribution, like that could be a whole topic in and of itself. Oh, yes, it could. <laughs> so one of the going back to kind of how the Internet make, m- makes me feel. Um, 
I think we touched on this earlier, but shopping online and the multiplicity of choice you have is really, it's surprising how much of a mental burden that is. And I think that's a, that's a burden that crept up on us slowly because now you basically like my, I have developed little habits and patterns around how I interface with Amazon just because I, I know how it's set up. And so if you want to find a quality item on Amazon, you don't browse Amazon. You browse other places and then you go to Amazon just to get the price and to put it in your cart. Yeah, shopping choice overload. Um, a- Amazon's a beast. Um, I try to use it less and less. I try to go to Target or the direct retailer if possible, but sometimes just free shipping is just too much to turn down um, with Prime. Absolutely. Um, but there's certain things that I know like I can't get on Amazon too. Um, like I've been really into buying coffee lately and mm. Amazon has mm-hmm. a okay but limited selection. So I've gone to the direct seller if possible. Um, there is a local spice company out of Buffalo called Kiss by the Sun mm-hmm. that I go right to them, um, but I have to pay for shipping. Yeah. But sometimes Amazon is my starting place to look. Yeah. But you got to be careful with Amazon because there's a lot of crap on Amazon too. Yes. Yeah, and I've noticed something. Um, actually, this was something my husband pointed out. With um, like, it's very noticeable when buying electronics buying a computer you are going to choose a particular specification maybe processing speed that at least for me i don't really know why my life would be impacted by one processing speed versus another and then you're just going to maximize around that one variable or, or maybe like a handful of variables but you're because you have so much choice in order to filter out you basically have to choose well okay what's important to me now I'm going to maximize that. And that I've also noticed infiltrating other parts of my life, other parts of my decision-making process that have nothing to do with online shopping. And so I think that's one way where like the internet has changed us in a way that I wish we didn't adapt to. Yeah. And I think when it comes to online shopping, I think it's certainly the retailer too. Yeah. Um, I, I've, as I said, I tried to shop less and less on Amazon, and that means shopping locally, but mm-hmm. big box stores are a thing now. So sometimes you can't shop locally, Yeah. but I will, um, when possible, shop through Lowe's, Best Buy, or Target over mm-hmm. Amazon. Yep. Um, also because most of the time you can do pickup at store, mm-hmm. most of the time you know it's not a third-party Retailer, yep. Target, Lowe's, or Best Buy has approved yep. the product they're selling. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Their warranties, especially at Best Buy Geek Squad, is absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but Amazon has become a beast into of itself. Um, I mean, I subscribe to multiple Amazon products. I had a year membership to Audible that I have two credits left on. Mm-hmm. Um, I read books through kindle i amazon looped me in through kindle limited for two free months and then i realized it's just (laughs) a selection of junk on kindle unlimited Uh, there's a lot of books on there but to find the good stuff you have to weed through a lot of junk 
advantage being their comic book selection is oh, absolutely amazing. Okay. Yep. So mm-hmm. um, read some comic books through Kindle Unlimited, mm-hmm. which is nice because comic books are expensive. Mm-hmm. But um, I think Amazon's really changed the way we shopped. Yes. And it's not in a good way. At, at times it is at in a times. good way yeah um especially around the quarantine the ability yes. to have stuff delivered to your house yes um and the variety of stuff you could have delivered. absolutely amazing right. but you also have to be careful because there's sketchy retailers on amazon and stuff mm-hmm. and that's why i'm saying i try to go through mm-hmm. target lowe's um yep. stuff where you know you know where it's coming from right with amazon you don't always know where it's coming from that's absolutely true although i will say my most i have no idea where this is coming from shopping experience was from instagram so i think it's brilliant that the ads you can have a direct link in the in the app you can have a the 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 retailer has a shop now button and you can go shop the store on instagram like that's a really interesting experience from a user experience point of view and dangerous because then i'll just buy things so i saw an ad for this like diamond painting kit which is some preset craft whatchamacallit and it was store going out of business free kits only pay shipping i was like cool yeah i'll do that sure yeah and before i knew it i had signed up for three of these and paid 35 dollars in shipping which was pretty reasonable i was like cool that's like 10 bucks each that's actually not that bad could have gone to Michael's and found something interesting craft-wise to do for 10 bucks. So cool. Took two months to get here. Um, definitely was like a, some sort of pop-up shop that was just, you know, uh, we're going to be, we're going to be in existence until somebody like calls us a scam and then we're going to disappear type of thing. So I'm curious about how Instagram is going to you know, kind of evolve or maybe have to be more vigilant with their shopping experience. So uh, I'll give you my one Instagram shopping experience. It was a good one. Um, got a targeted ad for mm-hmm. Mead. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hmm, this looks really good. I don't want Facebook to know that I think this looks really good. <laughs> What's the name of this meadery? I'm going to go to Google and Google search this meadery. And I did. They're from Vermont, Grenfell Meadery out of Vermont. Um, so I hopped on their website and I was like, oh, cool. They have their stuff right on here. Oh, they shipped to door. That's really cool. Um, and they had um, a box where you got, uh, they have six meads. You got four of each of them. It was 70 bucks. Now, normally their website was you needed to spend $75 for free shipping. Mm. But if you bought the sure. the one thing free shipping so i hopped on to facebook messenger went to a group of friends and was like hey we'd each get one we all in on this and we bought a box it arrived in two days and i've had one of the meads so far it was very delicious it was old wayfair their their regular Mm. mead is based off uh some viking styles and it's definitely odin on the uh, cover and that was a aged in an amber barrel um, so that was my one Instagram shopping experience. Mm-hmm. I've definitely seen stuff mm-hmm. on there that is interesting, but I will never click the link click in the app. The link. I will 
Google it and yeah. go through that way. I've started using DuckDuckGo for my browser. With the new computer purchase, I was like, I'm going to try to wean myself off Google. So I've used Firefox. I use DuckDuckGo. I haven't signed into the browser. I do have Gmail open, but that's, you just kind of reminded me of like, I'm sure Facebook still knows, right? Like that you bought the thing and probably oh, yeah. because of Amazon. So, but it's, it's a good habit, I think, definitely to not, not click the thing in the app. <laughs> yep. Try to step away from the app. Yep. Uh, so before we move on to topic two, any other final things from the world wide web that you would like to discuss yeah i think you know just kind of looking over my notes um going back to kind of youtube and creators um there's definitely a lot of channels where i really envious of what they do and what they um to to a point where i'm anti-motivated to be creative where it's like I've watched this content like physics girl or smarter every day or Mark Rober, like the engineering level videos. And I'm like, I really satisfied watching this. I learned something. I saw something cool. I have no motivation to do this because I would never be able to do it anywhere near as good as you did. And so it really, I, it's really almost not healthy for my creativity. Yeah, I can get that. I've uh, I've lost my creativity at times due to the internet. I used to be a lot more creative, and um, I think recently I've rediscovered it through things like Dungeons and Dragons and stuff, mm -hmm. where you can't get it on. Like you can get information on the internet, but it's not pre-created. Right. Um, yeah. So I think that um, I I've gotten I downloaded and paid for three different art apps on my phone um they are five dollars a piece they're all from the same company but they have mm -hmm. different abilities on it mm -hmm. um and i've gotten really into taking pictures manipulating them and then posting them on my instagram yep um to try to be creative but trying to follow in the steps of those hyper creatives is very yeah. difficult yes absolutely so. yeah and i think you touched on something there for me i think i'm most satisfied creatively when it doesn't involve a device so coloring i've got lots of coloring books and markers um, writing i've been doing a lot more just like pen and paper stuff uh, i have a keyboard but i that's sort of like three steps down on the list of like i'll get to that someday of like starting to play piano again um, but it's just those like tactile things that you sort of have an experience while you're doing the thing and I think that's also like, especially with sort of the, the sort of engineering level videos of just like watching them have that experience of creation is like, oh, I miss that. I want that. How do I get it? You have to make time. You have to make a little bit of time every day and space. You have to have like permanence, right? You have to have space and to have a workshop and you have to be in the one space long enough to justify spending money to build a workshop. And I just, you know, kind of meta speaking in my life, I, I feel like I haven't reached that level yet. So I'm trying to like give myself a little bit of grace there. So here's my one recommendation for you, potentially. If you ever are looking to write something that you want to share, but you want that handwritten uh, feel out of it, 
uh, excuse me, if you have a tablet, there are now a lot of handwriting input apps that you can grab a stylus that's like 15 yes. bucks mm, and okay. you write yep. on the tablet, but it actually makes it yeah. uh, words. Right. Yeah, that's definitely possible. I think for me, gosh, going back to like one of the things that sort of the, the internal monologue I end up with, I don't know how to overcome this particular monologue, which is like, I don't know why I would do this because nobody's going to see it. There's nobody asking me to do it. And so it's kind of this, not that like I would need a following, but it's just kind of like, I'm, you know, I need an editor. I need an editor to come to me every week, right? And say, Laura, I have a brief for you this week. And I need to know that somebody somewhere is going to read it because I can journal on a WordPress blog all day long, but like, I'm not going to get better creatively. I'm not going to have that full experience creatively unless like I know there's like a reason or like more to this than just me, if that makes sense. I run a podcast, so oh, uh, I yeah, um, I want to have listeners. But it also gets down to um, something that I think the internet has changed in us, and I guess this will be my final point in the internet topic, is that um, we feel like we need to be heard. Mm -hmm. um, and back in the day, people used to write and not feel that way, and they wrote for themselves, and there were certain people who got famous after they died and their writings were published. Yeah, um, it's very different now where everyone feels like they need to be that social media influencer and they need to be heard today and have their 10,000 listeners. Yeah, I think for me, um, along that point of how, I guess this is really the question, and I, I'm sure a lot of people are faced with this question, how to keep your in creative engine running and not have it be polluted or influenced by that need for an audience and for me the model for that that I have is my mom so she has been creative with rubber stamps and card making and you know now she's started going into watercoloring and put the, putting that on the greeting cards um, for like 15-20 years and just I think that's to me a really powerful to see how much she's how much she's done over those years even just doing a little bit every day but it's to the point now where she's like well i've been doing this i've been spending so much money on supplies i do need to start justifying it so she started an instagram account and she's trying to become an influencer but only to further this thing that she already has going and so to me that's really kind of I think there's a lesson in there, right? I think you're right. I think you are right. That there is a lesson in there that the hobby needs to be there first, and then the followers will come. Yeah. Well, I think there's so much more that we could talk about the internet. But I want to move on to segment two. So I do a 
conspiracy history philosophy thing. This is usually just a quick segment presenting something. So have you ever heard of the phantom time hypothesis? No. Okay, this one's a fun one. All right, so during the Dark Ages, there is 297 years uh, from uh, 1640 AD to 911 AD that never existed. They're just in history books. They, they're not real. And actually, it's like the 1700s right now, not the 2000s. Ah, so the idea is that there is a period of time in our history books that we say we don't have information for. Information dropped off at point number one and picked up again at point number two. And there was this amount of time, 400 years, however, however, there was some amount of years in there that we don't have a record for. So the conspiracy is that that is not the case and that point one and point two were just continuous with each other. Yeah, and it really comes down to the fact we had fallen into the Dark Ages in Europe at that time, and history started getting written by the church uh, mm-hmm, and the mm-hmm. elites only. Yep. Um, there wasn't history from the common people, Yep. and the concept was, I don't know exactly why they did it, but to push forward some sort of an agenda, we needed this 300 years of history that established something. Ah, so we okay. threw... Um, 300 years of history into the history books uh made up a bunch of stuff um pretty much all of the um i think it was charlemagne's time is non-existent um and Hmm. so i i like to come in with a semi-skeptical view of things i think this is unlikely but possible so i i think about it Mm -hmm. and i'm like how could we have just 300 years of history that doesn't exist? This history was happening in other places. Mm-hmm. But then yep. I'm like, we use the Roman calendar. And like, we're not saying that time didn't happen. We're just saying that the Roman calendar was forwarded 300 years without events happening in that calendar. So like, it'd be interesting. I, Let's look at the Chinese calendar and yes. see what year do they have us in? Does it match up with where the Roman calendar is? And then my other right. point is, I'm like, God, 300 years of missing history. And then I've I've listened to a lot on the impact of time on humanity. Yep. That, you know, we think that 50 years is a long time. Sure. So 200 and 300 years is huge. Sure. But then civilization has been around for um 10,000 years mm-hmm. if you believe certain people it's probably 14 to 15,000 years sure uh modern humans have been around for 100,000 years mm-hmm. and the earth has been around for billions of years 300 years is nothing yeah to you know the time scale of what could exist right So, to me, I think this feels easily falsifiable. It does. As you mentioned, um, looking across cultures to have evidence of um, an absolute number of trips around the sun from a relative point, right? You could, could just count 
right? In every, uh, assuming the assumption here is that there would be another contemporaneous culture that has a more complete record so that that's you know it's good to put our assumptions on the table and you know probably um asia seems like a good place that to look for probably i I don't know a whole lot especially off the top of my head about timekeeping and record keeping in asian cultures but i feel like there i've i've heard you know some very detailed accounts that go back even further than some european histories so to me that sounds like a good place to start looking Um, the roman calendar is absolutely horrible (laughs) i mean we added two months to it we had to add days to it we realized that there were a whole bunch of flaws in it it also has this random restart of time in it oh i don't think i know i mean so to be clear when you say the roman calendar there's the julian calendar and the gregorian calendar uh, right so it's sort of both of those are based on the roman calendar yeah it's the, sort of the, the switch between julian and gregorian because we're in the gregorian now i, I think, think we're yeah. yeah so you're talking about kind of the overall structure of both of those calendars. yes the, the okay. overall structure of those calendars and our history and that random point in time is the birth of jesus when we were just like sure hey we're gonna restart the clock at zero and time before this moves the other way for years i want to see i would love to see if we tried to pinpoint the start of civilization and became a civilization calendar and it would be like the year 10,000 right Mm. now um yeah yeah i don't know i think I guess I haven't thought too much about um, calendaring systems. To me, it feels useful to, to me, like 2000 is more countable than 10,000. If that, I mean, it's still. Does it matter though? It's a human construct. Oh boy. We're going back to this, aren't we? Time is a construct. (sighs) It's a callback. Oh, that's, that was well done. Very good. I approve. Um, oh boy. You know what gets even worse? The thought of the year being 10,000 makes me think Star Trek, Stardate, blah, blah, <laughs> blah, which I think they were in like the five digits at some point in yeah. one of the series. And if you're traveling in a starship, time will pass differently for you. Relativity. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Let's, br- let's bring back Star Wars really quick. So the way they solved for that is they had basic time which was all based on Coruscant. So all time in the universe was based on the date on Coruscant Mm, and how mm -hmm. long a day took on Coruscant. So when you measured a trip, it was how many standard days it took, and that was the time zone. Sure. Yes, because, yes, once you start traveling at space, time distorts, and it gets much harder to measure time. So I should have paid attention to the show notes a little bit more because... I could say a lot about time scientifically. Time is actually one of my favorite things to think about in terms of how we measure it, how we know that time has passed, um, how you can get away from a relative standard to an absolute standard, which you can do. It's amazing. It's based on light and atoms. So that is essentially what launched my entire 
interest in pursuing a physics major and physics PhD is the concept of the atomic clock. So that part of things I feel much more interested in, but the calendaring idea and the construct of marking time on a human time scale and multi-generational time scale that I haven't really gone that direction in terms of thinking about it. I will give you there is true scientific time, mm-hmm. but what most humans measure is not true scientific time. Sure. It is the human construct of time, yes. which measures how long it takes the earth to rotate and mm-hmm. how many times or we rotate around the sun. Yep. And that makes a year. Yes. But that is not real time. And it also is affected by the fact that if you're further away from the center of earth, time is different. That's why satellites need to be calculated to send the right time to your phone because they're on actually a different time than you so time is a human construct in the way we're discussing right now but there's true scientific time and it's an actual measurement yes so yes satellites are affected by gravitational redshift of the earth being further away from the center of the earth they do experience time slightly differently than we do here on earth as well as that i hadn't thought about being further away from the sun that also feels like redshifts that feels like gravitational effect so because the sun has we are in a gravity well of both the sun and of the earth so that would make sense because you're traveling kind of differently within the gravity well but then orbit is a stable i'll have to go break out some physics textbooks when i get home um so the human construct the human experience of time going back to kind of bringing in another scientific concept is carbon dating right yes so there should be an so this i'm not very well versed in the precision that we can achieve with carbon dating but i feel like i mean geological time is based on human construct right archaeology there are scientific fields that use our human experience of time and time record to make scientific statements and they rely on scientific tools and measurements like carbon dating to pinpoint where their objects of study were in our human record i feel like it would be kind of noticed yeah i i don't know much about carbon dating but i highly doubt the field of error is plus or minus 300 years yeah if that's the field of error then so much could be off. Well, I think it's also not uniform, right? Something that has a carbon signature of 100 years ago, they probably have a better precision on than something that was 2,000 years ago. So the error can be different depending on how far back in time you are. And we're talking about 1,400 years right now. Like, back. Back in time. And for a a precision. So, yeah, I, I feel like you know, that would have a precision better than 300, like you said, plus or minus 300, just kind of gut feel. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I highly doubt it's real, but it's an right. interesting conspiracy. And it furthers the discussion of time as a human construct, which is my new favorite concept. Yeah. Time is a human construct. Mm-hmm. And we've made it even worse by always having clocks on us. And yet, never knowing what time it is. Nope. But we always have (laughs) clocks on us. Yes. All right. Well, 
that's been it. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. So the way I always end this is I have an ending quote. Um, so I've talked about near a lot this time. Uh, and I grabbed this quote, not thinking I was going to bring up near a lot, but I thought it was relevant to our internet uh, discussion. So here's how we're going to end out. The cure for boredom is curiosity. There is no cure for curiosity. And that is from uh, Nier's book, Indistractable, which I will be reading at some point. Awesome. I love that quote. Have a great night. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Podcast this.